Thank you for coming back. Isaiah 28, Isaiah 28, verse 15. If you can page there, Isaiah 28. Obviously, we'll have time for questions. Trust me, we'll have time for questions. I know you've got questions. Keep them. There'll be enough time for that. Isaiah 28, um, verse 15. Um, just get it. Because you have said we have made a covenant with death, and with hell we are in agreement. When the overflowing scourge shall pass through, it shall not come unto us. We have made lies our refuge, and under falsehood we have hid ourselves. So essentially, these belief systems have caused people to find, to think that they are safe. So a lot of people do ceremonies and tie something around their arm, their arm or tie something around their waist and they think that they are safe. So they've made lies their refuge and they've made deception their fortress. The Bible says that some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but I've put my trust in the name of the Lord. But some trust in a goat, some trust in some um, animal skin that has been done whatever. Some would use a gallbladder of a, of a goat, tie around their hair. And so people trust in different things. But all these things cannot protect a human being. Another scripture is Isaiah 8, same, same book, Isaiah 8, um, verse 19. Isaiah 8, verse 19. But when they say unto you, seek unto them that have familiar spirits, and unto wizards that peep that matter, should not a people seek unto their God, for the living to the dead? So it's a, this, this verse is a, more of a rhetorical question. In other words, when they advise you to seek after the dead, should not a people seek after their God? Why should they seek the, living, the dead in behalf of the living? So it's clearly that a person who seeks after ancestors is refusing to seek after God directly and is going, is circumventing God and going to find solutions outside of God. And then another scripture, Ecclesiastes chapter 9, um, verse 4 to verse 6. Ecclesiastes 9, verse 4 to verse 6. For to him that is joined to all the living, there is hope. For the living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they shall die, but the dead know nothing. Neither have they any more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love, their hatred, their envy is now perished. Neither have they any more portion for anything that is done under the sun. Now, interestingly, seeing that Solomon would compare a dog and a lion. Now, a lion is a prized animal, but a dog in Israel was an unclean animal. So Moses, Solomon is saying, the dog, even though it's an unclean animal, when it is alive, it is better than a lion, a prized animal. So showing that a living person is better than a person who's dead. But in the culture, it's a dead person who's better than the person who's alive. It's the other way around. So, now the issue about these things are not simply practices that people enter into, but they are covenants. So people enter into covenants with spirits of the dead. Now, covenants are multi-generational. They don't just stop in one generation. God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's why David, one day, sought for somebody in the house of Saul to whom to show favor to, because of his covenant with Jonathan. 
and found Mephibosheth and did favor for Mephibosheth. So because covenants are multi-generational. So the covenants that people enter into, if you enter into covenant with Yahweh, the God of Israel, that covenant doesn't stop when you die. That covenant carries over to your children. He says, I'm a God, I will, I'm a jealous God. I'll visit the iniquity of the fathers up to the third and fourth generation, but I'll have mercy upon those who love me up until a thousand generations. So, interestingly enough, the Bible doesn't talk about the iniquities of the mother. It doesn't say mothers not commit sin, but specifically says, I will visit the iniquity of the fathers upon the third and fourth generation. Why is that? Because fathers are the priests of families, and they are the ones who carry covenantal issues to their children. So fathers, the impact of fathers is drastic in the lives of children. They are the ones who force children to follow a specific deity. In Israel, the dad was the one who chose which deity the family would worship. That's why Joshua says in Joshua 24 verse 15, Choose ye yourselves whom you will worship, whether the gods whom your fathers served on the other side. But me and my house we shall serve the Lord. So he did not consult his wife with that. It was his right to choose which deity they had to worship in his house. Okay? So fathers, therefore, are the ones who cause families to go into a covenant with the dead and cause families to go astray. <clears throat> That's why when fathers worship God, it says in the book of Timothy, I will that men everywhere lift up holy hands without wrath. So when men have been captured by God, those families are completely transformed. But in our continent, in South Africa, only 35% of black people are raised by their fathers. And those who are raised by their fathers are raised by fathers who served ancestors, majority of them. And so, therefore, these covenants, are, again, are multi-generational. For some of us are born into families with a completely distorted bloodline. So people think that when you get saved, accept Jesus, everything is perfect immediately. That's not true. That's true in terms of potential, but that potential must be actualized. So in potentiality, you are, in terms of potential, you are actually free, blessed, all that. That's a potential, which you must still actualize by applying the truth of God's word into your life. In other words, everyone on earth is potentially saved, but not everyone is actually saved. Christ died to save everyone, but not everyone has actualized their salvation. Christ died to heal everyone, but not everyone has actualized their healing. So, therefore, as we sit here, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews, when Abraham paid tithes, to Melchizedek, Levi paid tithes in the loins of Abraham. But Levi was not born up until four generations after Abraham. But when Abraham stood before Melchizedek, bringing his tithe, he stood also in the place of Levi, who was yet to be born. For instance, Isaac and Jacob, who are they? Except that we only read of them in light of the fact that they are sons of Abraham. They didn't enter into covenant with God, but God remembers them because of Abraham's obedience. 
When, I, when Jacob is running away from his brother, he's lying on, on Bethel, he's sleeping, angels descend and ascend on him, ascend and descend, and the Lord says, I am the God of your father, Abraham, and the place you are lying on is my land. So he has favor upon Jacob because of Abraham. So making the point that covenants are multi-generational. They don't stop because the person who entered into the covenant has died. They continue. So people who consult the dead, nobody can consult dead spirits. Dead spirits are either located in heaven or located in hell. They have a resting place that they enter into permanently and they are locked there until the day of judgment. But people who do ceremonies to the dead are actually consulting ancient demons that ruled in Canaan. So the ceremonies are not these ceremonies, therefore, are accessed or received elsewhere, but the place they are received in is not the dead they're talking to, but it's some spirit that masquerades as the dead person. The Bible says in the book of 2 Corinthians 12, the devil even masquerades into an angel of light. No wonder his servants can masquerade. So he masquerades. So the spirits receive the sacrifices and strengthen the covenants with that family line. And that family is forever bound by those spirits. So that's what's going on in South Africa right now and all over different other parts of the world. Even in other parts of the world, in fact. In Asia, they also consult the dead. They call it filial piety. They also do that in Brazil also. So it's not only done here in South Africa. But the issue is we must understand covenants are very, very strong. They're strong. Covenants are very strong. They're strong agreements. It takes a lot to break a covenant. Because the devil, when a covenant has been entered, into, he comes for the person who is part of that person's lineage. The seed of that person has to account, has to be the one responsible for the covenant his father entered into. So for instance, in the culture, the firstborn son automatically has the responsibility to carry over the covenants of his ancestors. So he would lead in ceremonies the dead. He was the one who must kill the animal. So that when the animal is in the household, he's the one who must stab it, the firstborn son. Because he's next in line in the ancestral hierarchy. Also, in Jewish culture, the firstborn son was meant to be a priest unto God. God says, the one who breaks the matrix of the womb is mine. So there was a, the parents who did not want a son to be a priest had to pay a redemption price for the firstborn son, an offering to redeem the son. Otherwise, the son did not belong to them. It belonged to God as a priest. Okay? So that, that was a blessing and a responsibility of the firstborn. The same thing is twisted in the culture. The firstborn is dedicated to the ancestral altar and, and cult. Okay? So now, in, in our lives... When we come into covenants with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we come into that place, our sons and our children and our daughters are not yet born. But when we stand before that place and commit our lives to God, we not only commit my 80 years of life or whatever 90 years that God gives me on the earth, I commit everything that belongs to me, including my unborn children. I commit my loins, the fruit of my womb, everything, the work of my hands, to God. So therefore, God is able to remember what I've done for him 
even 50, even 200, even 300 years to come. He will say to my child that I am the Lord of your father who served me. This is why I've come to bless you. Because your father served me. He may not even have relationship with God, but the favor of God will still come upon him because of my obedience. I believe prayers are not only answered in our generation. I believe prayers are answered even beyond the grave. That's what I believe. That there are prayers that God will not answer in your lifetime, but those prayers will remain stored to be answered in the lives of your children. Because God does not forget. He keeps covenant. So, therefore, the same thing that God does is the same thing that the devil does. So, families have been locked into perpetual poverty and lack because somebody, somewhere 100, 2, 3, 4, 500 years ago, entered into covenants with death. And every time there's a cycle of death, that somebody of a certain age must die before certain, he achieves certain things. There's a curse around the family line. So, so we now have to stand before God, take the sword of the Spirit, and cut that line of curse. Sever that line. It takes a lot of work. People do these things, smiling nicely, the goats. When they come back from that, we make us work. We have to work with deliverance. Work praying for things that people have invited themselves. So now we must help them. When we teach the word, they think it's too simple. It's too simple. I must say, no, you don't have to pay me anything. There's no oil, there's no nothing. I lay hands on you. They don't believe it. Because they're used to holding in something. They're used to putting something under their tongue. This thing looks too simple, it's too easy. I said, no, it's, it works. Because it's simply God working through. I'm simply a vessel, a conduit. For God. I don't have to carry nothing. He's the one who does the work through me. People think it's too easy. I mean, you've got nothing. I said, no, nothing. Nothing. No blessed water, no holy water. There's no water that is holy. Only there's a God who's holy. <laughs> you know? And so people don't like that. They want something that they will hold on to. They'll put there in their, in their holy water. No, I believe in a holy God, not a holy water. Water belongs, belongs to the municipality. It comes from the tap. It's not holy. It's from the tap. I mean, you know. But somebody pours water from the tap, prays, and then calls it holy water. And so we have this covenant. And so God is sending us into the battlefield to war against the enemy, the soul of a nation. And you know something. War is not nice. No, no, it's a fight. It's like, I don't want to fight, Lord. God says, it's not your choice. I'm sending you there to fight. Because, you see, I said to you, African religion doesn't believe in personal destiny. Only believes the process and extension of its ancestral hierarchy. Now, let me say this to you. You've heard of the concept called African time. You've heard of it, eh? <laughs> Let's talk about African time. African time. Time is only important when you've discovered destiny. Time is only important when you discovered why you're in the earth for. Now, I know this 
people of European descent have thought that they, they manage time better, but mainly because you are after the rand and the dollar, not mainly because you are after a destiny. Because you are, you, you, are, you, are, you are meticulous in terms of time management doesn't necessarily mean you're pursuing destiny. Because you're fictitious about 11 o'clock doesn't mean you're really fulfilling God's will. You're just, you're just chasing after the wind. So, so don't think because you always watch the clock it means you're doing what God wants you to do with the time. It just means that something else is pushing you, waking you up from bed. Because I believe there's two voices that speak to us every morning. It is a voice of income and a voice of impact. God's voice is the voice of impact, not the voice of income. The world, the voice of the world is the voice of income. That means wake up, dress up, go and earn an income. God will say wake up, go and make an impact. There's a difference. And the impact may not be accompanied by a lot of income, but the impact lasts longer than the income. So, we have that. So, now, we have this, people wake up and, 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 they, and they come to meetings late. And, of course, there's logistical issues like taxis and buses, which, but still, there's an element of carelessness with time management. Based on the fact that a person has not grasped the destiny that God has given them in the earth. That, and that destiny is connected to time. Meaning, I am not in the earth to waste time. Time is of importance. Number your days, the Bible says. You know, be circumcised. Know the days. Because time is of its importance. Because I only have so much time in the earth, I must use it to the glory of God. Every breathing moment, I must consider what God has kept me on the earth for. So when you're driven by destiny, you don't while around, walking around, just taking a stroll. You're always concerned about how to maximize time for maximum impact for the king. When you're driven by destiny. But if you don't have destiny, why should you bother? Your whole day is just a routine, monotonous. You wake up, watch the sun go up, you watch the sun go down. Well, it was a good day today, the sun was shining. And tomorrow, oh, the sun is shining again. Oh, the sun is shining again. There's nothing else to do. Watching the sun. And this is not connected to you having a job. A job just over broke. It's not connected to you having a job. When you have caught on to destiny, it doesn't matter if you have a job or not. Destiny is greater than the job. Destiny. You can be unemployed but still be in destiny. It's very diff- a big difference. In fact, you could be employed but out of destiny. Yet you could be unemployed but be in destiny. It's better to be in destiny than anything else. Okay. So we have this covenant. So when the country was dedicated to ancestors in 2012, before that, let me go back. When they established a Freemasonry temple in Parliament, which exists today, in Parliament, National Parliament, is a Freemasonry temple. Temple of Freemasons in our National Parliament, Cape Town. They obviously entered into covenants with spirits of Freemason. So the country has been ruled by Freemason. Now let me tell you, I mean, the issue of apartheid, apartheid, whatever, however you pronounce it, is not just a racial distinction, a racial difference. Also, it has a spiritual component. 
the idea that we are closer to God than these people. It is demonic simply because we know there to be a fact that anyone who undermines the people who are made in God's image ultimately undermines God. And the one who undermined God in the Garden of Eden is devil, number one. First one, to tell Eve, did God say, if you eat of this tree, you shall be like God. The first person to question God's image was Satan. The first person to try and devalue the image of God in a human being was Satan. So the next person who devalues God's image in other human beings is listening to Satan. Satan is their father. They listen to the voices of the devil. Only one who questions the image. The Bible says that if you look down on a poor person, you look down on his maker. So human beings are valued because of who made them, not because of what they have in their pockets. So you'll appreciate a human being only when you've appreciated the one who made them. So when you devalue a human being, it's because you have no value for God. Because when you see a human being, you should be seeing the God who made them. Okay? So that's the first part. So the country was built on a system that thought certain races are more like God than other races. So it kept people, it gave people this false notion of proximity to God. And they believed that God is like them, and they made Jesus to be white, blonde hair, blonde eyes, sorry, not blonde hair. Blonde, no, blue eyes, sorry, blue eyes. <laughs> not blonde eyes. Blue eyes, Jesus, white. And so you grew up with this Jesus, European-looking man. And the problems with this guy didn't look like a Jew. So we had this Jesus, and we had issues with that. And we had this God who was more favorable to European people than what he was to African people. But we know it's not it's true. Because Jesus was in Egypt for two years when Herod wanted to kill him. So the Lord of glory was in this continent. And he was here, safe and sound. And he doesn't forget the continent that kept him for two years. He can't forget it. He's got a connection to the continent because the continent kept him here. He made him. And so various things, the first African convert to the gospel was not preached to by European, but preached to by Jews. Philip, who preached the European eunuch in Acts chapter 8. Not preached to by a European. For the largest church in the world in, the, in those days was in Egypt, not in Europe. It's, so, and you look at that, the power of God in the continent, and you see that. Then this belief system came, and I, you know, young people ask me questions in universities. But Africa, white people wrote the Bible to deceive black people. And they gave people, black people the Bible and they took the land. Now I tell them this, that the messenger of Christianity in South Africa is discredited. discredited. But the message is not discredited. So I say, this, I say, yes, the messenger and the message are two different things. We find fault with the messenger. We find no fault with the message. So it is not the message that is the problem, but the messenger. Okay? God loves us. Those who spoke in things that are wrong in the name of God will account for themselves with God. 
It's not God who's at fault. It's his messengers who came and preached lies in his name. So we must separate, we separate between the messenger and the message. And of course, I mean, we know this, not to, we know this clearly, that people will say white people wrote the Bible to deceive black people. First of all, that argument itself doesn't need a lot of gymnastics. It's very weak. Historically inaccurate. You know, besides, the few points I normally tell people who say that, I say, one, the white people who wrote the Bible to deceive black people are not very clever white people. Because, one, if they wrote this book to deceive black people, and in the first chapter of this book, they tell black people that, that they are made in God's image. <laughs> it doesn't sound that they thought about it very, very thorough. So I don't know how you get deceived or how do you feel like you are a lower species if somebody tells you the first chapter you are made in God's image. I don't know how that becomes oppressive. And secondly, obviously, if you say white people wrote the Bible to deceive black people, you've already admitted to white superiority. Because any person can write the Bible without the benefit of, of university education. Then it has to be intellectually superior to you. Because that book cannot have been written by a human being. Just the book of Proverbs by itself. For Solomon speaks about everything on earth. But birds, types of trees, mathematics, planning, goal setting, birth, this, that. It covers almost every subject. Financial management, marriage. But it's not going to school. If somebody can write that without school, another person is naturally, inherently, intellectually superior. So a black person who says that has just admitted their inferiority to a white person. And so, and on and on. But we do know that the Bible was written over 1,500 years by 40 different authors at different times. And it remains the best-selling book of all times, written and read by people from all over the world, over 12,000 different translations, people all over the world, not black and white, but different people who should not be doing anything with a book that was written by black people, white people to white people, to black people. Asian people should have nothing to do with the book because after all, it's written by white people to deceive black people. It should remain there for black people. But it's written by people, read by people all over the world and it's transformed nations around the world. Changed people's lives from all over the world. And it still remains the best-selling book of all time. You just check Guinness Book World Book of Records. It remains the best-selling book of all time. Changed history. Started re- of reformation. Missions and all of that. Salvation Army, Red Cross, Youth for Christ, various initiatives because of this book. Started a nursing with Florence Nightingale and other stuff. So we know it's not true, but people would always repeat this, this lie. Because of the way we presented Christianity, people reject it. Now, it's very important for us to address the historical inac- inaccuracies that have come in the name of Christ. The issues of superiority, the lies that have been repeated over time. Like this man here, Tengian Devon, with a guest house, who said in his Bible, races are not supposed to mix. So therefore in his guest house, he cannot admit black people and government people as guests. Those people obviously distort what our faith is about. And they bring us questions, and they make life difficult for us to present the gospel. Because these young black guys in universities right now are very angry. And I go around, visit them, and debate them. Very angry group of people. And they're angry as well against our faith. Because of the intonations of the way it's been presented. 
and it, they think it perpetuates superiority, when it actually doesn't. And you've got pastors on the pulpit who, who preaches, and that white people are rich because they work hard. I mean, we're going back and we're going around in circles. You know, we need to cut this line of superiority because it's distorting the image of our faith. Now, why do we emphasize on African religion, African culture? It's not because of a hatred of African people. It's because African people are in the majority in the country. And their culture is communal. Meaning, a person has very few options of opting out. That is why I will talk about racism and all that superiority, but I will always go back to African culture because it is stronger and more powerful and more enduring than any other culture. Because number one, 80% of people in this country are black and the culture is communal. It's not individualistic. It doesn't allow any options of opting out. There's no exit point. You are born into it, you are forced to follow it. And it is strong and it's got all these issues. That's why I keep going around it because of it, it's different. So we have demons that have been invited. Okay? So now, demons are not born in the earth. They're not, they're not new demons being born. Every demons we deal with today have been around for thousands of years. There's no new demons being born. So if we cast out a demon out of a person, that demon existed in somebody's pet previously. Okay? So what happens is this. Now we know this, or we should know this. When you study demonology, you realize that demons are the lowest ranking forces in the devil's hierarchy of darkness. There's still principalities, powers, and rulers that rule over territories, that keep people oppressed and bound. High-level witchcraft happening over nations. And it's, it's black, white, doesn't matter, but it's high levels of witchcraft. Okay? So there's strong covenants that rule over cities. Every place has entities, spiritually, that rule over that place. Controlling the people who belong, who stay in that place. Now, I know that we may not like, like, oh, no, but, you know, freedom. Yes, there's freedom. I know, I know groups in the world who don't believe in warfare. And I say, that's fine. You have not been to Africa, so that's okay. I mean, that's okay. I mean, you come from America. You have a right to believe in your stories. But we know what we believe in. One day, we were casting demons out of a young girl in P.E. in Zwede Township. And then we are talking to this girl, casting the demon, the demon speaker. So, so now there's something called um, astral projection. So this girl was not spiritually in the room, only she was there physically. Now, teach, that somebody, teach this else so people think you're coming up with stories, but it happened. So this girl said, where are you? Where is she? Where is she? The demon says, Van Stadens. Van Stadens Bridge. You've been to PE, you know this bridge. They call it bridge of death. So people go and commit suicide. Where in Panstadians? Underneath the bridge. But she's here, physically, she's here. The demons are saying she's in Panstadians bridge, underneath the bridge. But we know that physically, probably it's not been to Panstadians, let alone having been outside the city. She's probably 16 or 17. But the interesting thing about this girl is this. Her spirit was taken out she was serving Satan and Van Staden's Bridge. But the demographic profile of people who commit suicide in Van Staden's Bridge is largely not black, but white. 
So here is spirits operating in a young black child, but the consequences affect people across race. Because in the spirit realm, there is no race, no gender. There's no male spirits, there's no female spirits, there's no black spirits, there's no, fem- there's no white spirits. In terms of demonology, there's just demons. They occupy whoever is open to them, regardless of his race or gender. So in the spiritual realm, there is no racism or sexism or xenophobic, whatever. It's just an open field, whoever is open. And then they receive that. Okay? So now, black people are unlikely to commit suicide in front studies. Bridge. I'll tell you why. The bridge is 100 meters down. Okay, 100 meters down. Now, black people, <laughs> they do not do those things of heights. <laughs> they don't do those things of heights. If they're going to kill themselves, they'll look for other ways of killing themselves. But jumping off bridges is not something we are likely to do as black people. You know? So, there are a couple of things we're not going to do as black people. We're not going to drown. Our, we're, not going to, we're not going to drown. We're not going to walk out. We're not going to drown because, you know, us and water. <laughs> There's a relationship issue there. <laughs> and we're not going to jump over buildings. We might find something else. You know, so we, you know, you know a person's going to kill himself, but still, he must be doing it in a, in a very nice way, civil. <laughs> We still believe in the body must be found and must be buried intact. So we don't want, we don't want the body to be in pieces. You know? So, so the, the rope and the blade and the pills. Because we still want the body, you know? Oh, shooting and brains coming out. And, it's like, that's too dramatic. <laughs> so, so, so we're still careful to make sure that they must find a real body complete and intact and buried there. So we have that. And so our nation, nation of South Africa, is bleeding. For the three people are being killed every single day. For the three people are dying every day on the roads. One in four women, depending on what stats you use, some say one in nine. Some say one in four women are raped every day. Highest rape of children. Highest of every, almost everything. Highest budgets of education. Lowest achievements in education. It's a mess. And money is not going to solve this mess. Because this mess is spiritual. Forsaking of the Lord, turning our back on God. Even now, when we vote, for instance, when we vote now, how, how do you vote? We vote abortionist in? Don't we? All of us. Because they promise as things that we want for our own benefit. So we vote abortionists in. Every election, we keep voting abortionists. They've killed two million people, children by now. And they keep killing them. We don't talk about abortion, we just talk about services. As long as they provide us services and they fix the potholes, vote them in. They may kill the babies, doesn't matter. As long as they give us clean streets and they make sure the bylaws are obeyed. And they're done, enforced. They don't mind the babies. They're killing. The problem is this. God 
will judge us as a nation, not only a party. You see what we don't understand? The X we put next to a party. The judgment doesn't only come to the party. It also comes upon those who put the X next to the party. Because their ex endorsed the party to govern the way it governs. You can't separate yourself from the actions of the party you support. So we are accountable for such things. You know, we've been voting these abortionists. Every year, they come and they just keep killing babies. The killing of babies in the womb is for the worship of Molech. Because babies are taken out of the womb and incinerated. They're bent in hospitals. Same thing that they did to worship of Molech. It's still being done today. And it obviously offends the heart of God that it has happened. Now, just as I just come to a close, I want to emphasize, I'm probably am not going to move away from this point because I think it's very important. The blessings of the Lord. In Leviticus 26, and Deuteronomy 28, he talks about it. He says, if you obey, if you hearken, be careful. If you hearken to observe and to do all these commandments that I give to you today. These blessings that come upon you. So you bless in the city, bless in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb, blessed shall be the, head, the fruit of the work of your hands. You shall be the head, not the tail. Learn to many but borrow from none. He begins to speak specifically of the blessings that will follow. Blessings that follow you, they will overtake you, he says. Verse 15 says, but if you will not hearken to do his commandments. Curses. And then he begins to number them from verse 15 to verse 68. It's much a longer aspect of curses. Sickness that cannot be cured. Blindness. This, that. He speaks over the issues. That's what God says. In fact, God is interesting. He tells the nation of Israel, when you worship Baal and do this, I, God, will become your enemy. God says, I will become your enemy. I will turn my back on you. I will become your enemy. If God becomes your enemy, who will you run to? Who will you run to? You are stuck. So we have entered into the covenants with, with Satan. And we've invited him. And we've said to him, protect us. When we consult witch doctors, we're consulting Satan. A witch and a witch. Now, they don't use the word witch doctor. They say it's European. Because of their concept, which they say the proper way is traditional healer. Politically correct. Traditional healer. Or sangoma or whatever. When you consult these people, it's like, catch, it's like a thief catching a thief. And then it says, I have caught a thief. But they are both thieves. So they are of the same camp. Now, when you... Talk to people who are high-ranking Satanists who have been delivered. They will tell you that they are the ones responsible for bringing people into being with Sangomas. In fact, there's a lady who told us that her assignment in the dev, in the, as, a worship, as a devil worshiper was to bring dreams to people. The dreams of ancestors. She tells us how they bring them in. It's called, it's called dream telepathy. Telepathy is to communicate with somebody without use of speech or written language. To communicate telepathically. So they tell us how they communicate dreams from the ancestors to people who then wake up and perform ceremonies based on the dream and then they're hooked permanently. So, wow. 
But they explain to us the detail of how it works out. Okay? Now the question people ask me is, but Pastor, what if I did dream of my grandfather and he said this and that, and it's accurate. I dreamt him and said something that works. Read Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse 1 to verse 3. It answers that question. It says, when a dreamer of dreams or a prophet rises up from amongst you and gives you a dream or a prophecy and it comes to pass, comes to pass, but then it tells you to go and serve other gods, gods you have not known before, you shall not follow that dreamer of dreams or a prophet. It says that, okay? Yeah, if a prophet or one who foretells by dreams appears among you and announces to you a miraculous sign or wonder, and if the sign or wonder of which he's spoken takes place, and he says, let us follow other gods, gods you have not known, and let us worship them, you must not listen to the words of the prophet or a dreamer. The Lord your God is testing you to find out whether you love him with all your heart, with all your soul. Isn't it interesting? The words he spoke about are accurate. They come to pass. And he does signs and wonders. You should not listen to the words of that dreamer or a prophet. Based on which God is directing you to, don't listen to his words. Not based on the signs he's performing. Based on which direction he's sending you to. That's the main thing. A prophet, therefore, is not judged by his gift, but by his fruit. What's which God is sending us to, to, to worship. Okay? In Limbombo, there is a rain queen called Mujaji who is supposed to be responsible for rain. So, she's called, she's called a rain queen. They translate the family line, the Mujaji family. So they will consult, pray over that. So they've done all these things. You do it here in case they done also. You've got all the ceremonies you do here with your king, yeah? You know, Zulu people, you know, Zulu people in their culture will kill you. The whole, if, there's, if there's one strong people of culture, the Zulus, with their spears, you must be careful. <laughs> I don't play. <laughs> A Zulu man in this culture, inseparable. <laughs> you know. So they, they have this. Even in church, even in church, I mean, they come to church, they still worship Jesus, but they still maintain their culture. Women sit this side. Men sit this side. Okay? So they practice culture in the church. Men are leaders. Women are followers. In the name of culture. This is patriarchy. Nothing else about patriarchy. Of course, taking two verses in the Bible out of context doesn't really help. Paul says in First Corinthians, I will not allow a woman to have authority over men. Take that and another one and I will allow women to teach a man. And they take that and they use that and they twist that. But the same Bible says in the book of Acts 2, your sons and daughters will prophesy. So I don't know how they prophesy with their mouth closed. <laughs> Just doesn't make sense to me. They keep quiet and they prophesy. How they do it. <laughs> so we see it in church. You see guys, you know, coming. Man. Come. Pastor. The women, oh, man of God. Oh, <laughs> Baba. Baba. And he comes there and he's full of himself, pompous. Some of them with their bodyguards. Come, man of God. Yeah, special chair. Big one. Leather. Big armrests. Huge. 
king, tribal pastor, tribal chief, come and sit there and, and watch that and can see that it lacks a revelation of truth for Christ. Positional leadership versus servant leadership. It's a complete confusion. But they do that. It's because these guys are tribal people. They still come to church with a tribal mentality. So they've got more chieftains in their mind than they do have servanthood. So they come as chiefs, not as servants. Yeah, so they come here and they do all of this. And now some of them now I'm hearing here, you guys are master, you guys are pioneers in the case of I mean you've got pastors now who are polygamists. It's right here. I don't know how you do it. Polygamist. You have more than one wife. You know. And so, yeah. They've blessed themselves, you know. They're like, <laughs> I mean, those of you who are married, you know this. I mean, one woman is enough trouble. <laughs> Just one. You're enough trouble with one wife. <laughs> My wife calls me, like, you know, she wants 200 or whatever. It's like, just dealing with one. It's just, you've got 10 or five. Or, I don't know how you do it. Unless, of course, you're like our guy here, like our person who somebody else pays for, you know? If you have the privilege of just phoning the Minister of Finance, then you can do that. You don't have to take responsibility. Like, we need another car here, we need another ML. Yeah. Put an order. <laughs> then, it's not your problem, it's just they must pay for it. <laughs> but if you are the kind of person who must find the money yourself, then you, one is enough. Because <laughs> as, as I'm here with you, in case as I'm here right now, I don't know what's going on at home. I just want to hear, when I hear my SMS, the something's happening. Oh! What are you doing now in the shopping mall? Just get off, leave my card. Because <laughs> she's busy, no? So that's enough. But we've got pastors who are polygamists. And they use the Bible to, to fit their last issue. No one. I don't believe so. I'm close on this. I don't believe you can love more than one woman for a wife. You can love everybody. But I think beyond that, it's more lust than anything, than love. And men... On, uh, let's be honest, we'll just generally like multiple partners if it was up to them. If there was no restrictions, the Bible would, would be Solomon. The only thing keeping us is the Bible. Otherwise, if it was up to us, if it was free for all, we'll, 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 we'll choose Solomon's route. <laughs> 700, yeah, like two, two, it's 305 days in a year, right? Yeah, it's 305 days in a year. That means one, two for every day. 700. That's what Solomon is. I mean, how else do you have 700 wives? It's two for every day. One for the morning, one for the evening. Okay. <laughs> we close on that thought. <laughs> we close on that thought. Now we open for questions. Now we open for questions. Ready? Zola, who's alive, very much alive. <laughs> yes, Zola, go for it, brother. If you like the gay people, you're running away from them, and mm-hmm. no one wants to let them be in a church. What what would you say about that? It's a problem. That's a problem because people are people before they're gay, and so it's a problem with us and our own self-esteem and identity issues, especially men. 
tell men we are afraid of male homosexuals because of our own sexuality issues. Not because of them. So, um, gay, thief, liar, robber, murderer, they are people first. They don't stop becoming people because they're gay. They remain first and foremost human beings made in God's image. The fact that they practice something that is not of God doesn't change the fact that they're made in God's image. And so we should not be refusing them fellowship. We might refuse them leadership, but not fellowship. Another question? Yes, Um, Africa, would you speak more into the covenants that have been made in this nation, the the satanic covenant? I thought I had already. No, 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 I want more. Which one? Which one specifically? Do you have anything specific in mind you want us to touch on? I remember, I, remember, um, I think it was up here by Cato Ridge. Yeah. Apparently the king, now I can only do this through hearsay, came and killed whoever however many goats, king, no, yeah. no, bulls, 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 goats, I mean, kings kill. Yeah. And I think that was part of the covenants, was it? Yeah. yeah. Well, those things are done all the time, man. The ones we hear and the ones we don't hear about. They're done all the time. So, um, to tell you, just, just answer your questions but plainly, um, there are things we hear about, there are things we don't hear about. But these guys are busy. And for them, let's be, let's be fair, it is their belief system. They really believe they are right in what they're doing. The same way we gather here on the Saturday morning, we believe we are correct by gathering here. They are as convinced of what they do as we are convinced of our worship. They are convinced. So for them, if they don't do that, they believe something will go wrong. So they think they're doing favor for the whole nation by doing that. When my, it's just an example. When our Former president, Mandela was buried. You noticed that. If you watched it, I didn't watch it. There was a time that the television camera switched off. That was during Around the Grave. Because there were things that were done around the grave that they didn't want to show on TV. All ceremony was covered on TV until certain parts which they switched off television cameras. Because now we're entering into a space that we don't want other people to see. Even when they put his, his body was lying in state in Pretoria, every time they moved his body from the mob, they had to do certain ceremonies before they moved his body. Okay. So, therefore, I don't, I, don't, I don't get angry with these things. I know that they are as convinced of them as I am convinced of the power of Christ. I am convinced of the Holy Spirit. In fact, the only spirit in the Bible called holy, with the prefix holy, is the Holy Spirit of God. There's other spirits, but only one is holy. That means others are not holy. Therefore, I should not be having them in me. Because only one is holy. So I am convinced of the power of God. They are convinced of their spirits also. I then must try to help them to be not convinced of that. But I cannot criticize them. Because from that position, it helps nobody. Because they are convinced. When I pray in my room and I feel God's presence, they think I'm crazy as I think they're crazy with their goats. <laughs> so it goes both sides. Yeah, yes. They, they bring a lot of trouble into a country oh, or a sure. nation oh, for um, sure. through these things. For sure, for sure. There's no doubt about it. There's no doubt there's consequences. 
There's definitely consequences. The guy is in leadership. He's a king. And therefore, he has authority. He's a ruler. Some of the people are not kings in terms of tribes. Some of them are first spiritual entities, meaning they're given powers by spirit forces. The time they get positioned physically or, po- or politically or, tri- or tribal is because they've already been given, they've been seeded power spiritually. They rule as they're given power from above. The time people vote them in power is because the people are actually walking in line with the decree that has been given spiritually. So Jeremiah says, you shall decree a thing and it shall be established. So our responsibility is to keep decreeing that righteousness exalts a nation, that God will raise a righteous leader. We cannot give up on trusting God. The Israelites had a situation where one king will rise up and will raise up the altars of Baal. And the nation will be in terrible defeat and poverty until another king will rise up, Josiah or whoever. And he will destroy the altars of Baal. And then the blessings will come. Unfortunately, nations are dependent on leaders. Everything rises and falls on leadership. So we must pray that for God, for God-fearing leaders to rise up in our nation. Because ultimately, that's why Paul says, only he mentions in First Timothy 2, pray for all men, especially for those who are leaders, kings and authorities. That consequence, we may live a peaceable life on earth. In God, all godliness. For this is the will of God in Christ, who is all men to be saved. So our living peaceable lives is dependent on leaders. And so, I mean, we know the world. Three leaders in the world. Three. Mussolini, Chairman um, Mao, and Hitler. Three are responsible for over 100 million deaths. Just three people. 100 million lives were lost out of the actions of only three people. So leaders are key. They can kill, they can destroy, they can determine who lives or dies for generations to come. Idi Amin, they estimate about 300,000, 500,000 deaths happened during his regime. Yeah, question? Next question. Good morning, Africa. Morning. Uh, My question, my first question is particularly for Sunday school on behalf of Sunday school teachers, where how do we as Sunday school teachers engage the parents of the kids that come to our Sunday school but go back to the home that really practice these things and yet the kids are growing in knowing Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior and they are saved. But when they go home, it's different situation. How do we then as teachers, engage the parents without maybe putting the child in danger of being kicked out at home? I I thought you said the first question. Ask the second question. (laughs) The second question would be then, uh, how do we then, as a church, uh, engage or tackle these challenges of culture without compromising our truth, without compromising what we believe, without conforming to the pattern of particular or that culture, just because we want to. Because I've heard people, no, you know, you have to do it. So that you can yes, get them in. Yeah, of course. And, but in doing that, we also lose the gospel. You know. Okay. 
All right. The first one is not easy. I think it's a challenge that each church and Christian school, everything with children is challenged. Obviously, the ideal situation is having children's ministry of parents who are in this church. That's ideal. It's not always like that. Sometimes children are dumped in like a babysitting facility. <laughs> My parents have no desire to be here, but I think it's a nice place for my child to go to. You know, let's get them this Jesus business. But I'm, I don't, I'm, you know. so, so ideally, we should be having parents here. But you know, ultimately, we need to. We should be having a situation where children should be welcome, of course, even without parents. But we should have their parents because we need to know who the guardian is of this child. But we need to investigate each child where he comes from and begin to target that family for ministry purposes. If the church, the family thinks that church, my church is good enough for his child to go to, therefore it should be good enough for my church to visit that family's house. Because, I mean, there's already a relationship here based on the child. So I should be able to say, can I come and see you? Your child is growing very well in church, you know, a wonderful child, but I have this challenge. So it will take a relationship being built between the leader of a church, whatever, and that family. But obviously it's not a simple thing like that. Some families may be welcome or unwelcome, wel- welcoming you in that space. It gets worse. I, I have a, a doctor, um, um, pediatrician, oncologist, um, a doctor of cancer for children. Very educated. So, so she says to me, we, we then give, uh, we help these young ones. They've got cancer, you know, like leukemia and all that. We help them with medical. Then they go home and they stop using medicine and they take them to Sangomas. And they come back worse than they were, almost at death's door, because of what goes on at home. So now they're trying to get us, they're trying to say to me, can you have ministry for the parents? Can you come closer to us, medical, and then you guys come close, so that you can minister to parents? Because we can't do our chores. These are born-again doctors, but they obviously have problems with what parents are practicing at home. So now we're trying to come around the doctors to help them reach out to the parents. So it's difficult for those parents to stop what they're doing because they've believed it all their lifetime. So we need to go. The gospel is a going thing, as we know. It's not a coming thing. So we're nice for parents to come to church with their children. But the gospel is a going. We must not refuse to go. We were not told to invite them. We were told to go to them. We want it nice. We want to invite them. Nah, that's not how the gospel was supposed to be. We are taking shortcuts. We are told, go. We take them. We say to them, come. That's not how it's supposed to happen. So yes, nice for them to come, but ultimately we should be going to them, into their world. And you know this. If you send a white person there, they won't receive him. We should be going of our kind to the world of Zulu and Kosa people and have a sit down with them and talk their language, drink their tea, drink their coffee, and minister the gospel. You can't ask a person to stop slaughtering a goat without receiving Jesus Christ first. Because they believe their protection is in the goat. They will stop the goat. Who protects me? If I stop the goat, the first thing is to teach the gospel. That's how we do Alpha now and do stuff to present the gospel in an understandable form. So I think that issue is our ministry of the gospel. The second thing you ask about culturalization and issues like that, how do we present the gospel within the culture? It's not easy, but it's not impossible. The gospel is meant to be countercultural first. 
it means it opposes any culture that opposes God. So you can't avoid conflict at some point. But the gospel can be presented within a culture when you become wise enough. For instance, the culture of Africa is conducive for the gospel. Very conducive. It's communal. It's storytelling. Conducive environment for the gospel. You cannot teach a tent here in Hillcrest and crusade, do a crusade. But in the valley, you can pitch a tent anytime, Pastor Ale. <laughs> the rules there, there is no bylaws problems there. You just have four or five people agreeing for the ground and have an extension cord for electricity, <laughs> put a keyboard. We're gone. <laughs> so we should be using that to our advantage. So, and Europe is different different. You ain't nobody talking to nobody there. <laughs> not in buses, not in trains. So I think at least in our context, the, the culture allows for the gospel to be preached. People talk to each other, they greet each other, they tell stories. How are you? Hey, it's great, it's warm today. Hey, it's cold. You don't do that in Europe. How are, it's not my problem, how are you? It's, you just walk your own life. <laughs> Here at least we interact, we interact, we tell stories. But the fact that we, can, we are still talking to each other should be good enough. We should maximize the opportunity that is open for us to share the gospel. In our greetings, in our salutations, in our how are you's, we should maximize it. Very few parts of the world are still talking to people, how are you? But I don't care, how are you? Let alone, hi. When you land, when you land at OR there, you know in South Africa, when you hear, how's it? It's like, oh, yes, I'm back. I've been, to this, I've been in this stale country, so nobody asked. Now I land in OR, I just hear houses. I said, yeah, now I'm back to, to, the, to the ground of Africa. How's it, brother? How's it? How's it? How's it? How's it? And I know I'm safe. If I look, if I look for directions, I ask any person of any race. They don't just pass me, they listen to me. As a person of the world, you are lost on your own. You walk around the block the whole time. <laughs> yeah. Any other question? Um, there's one, one lady. Funa, we are back to the question that he asked about the Sunday school, and um, you know, us um, raising them by the word um, of God. I'm a single mom, um, I'm raising a boy, okay? So um, I, just want, um, I just hope this is not a sensitive issue uh, for Um Now, um, I live here, I work here, and um, you know, I go to a multiracial church, and I'm raising my son in the ways of the Lord. Ngoku, you also mentioned that in the Bible, you know, the man is the priest of Ikai. Now, 18 years later, I'm going to go back home. You know the question that I'm going to ask now. I'm going to go back home. How would you advise a single mom that is a born-again Christian? How, you know, advise me, yes. How, how would I... I, I you know, address the issue. You know, nobody's going to slaughter a goat for him and take him to the mountain or, you know, because at 18 years later, they're going to, you know, 15 years later from now, they're going to say, they're going to get the goats for me. They're going to arrange, you know, all the viceroys for me. Um, culture it, and this is how I raise my son, but the culture says, Um, you don't have to do it. Absolutely don't have to do it. 
One, I have problems of my own. And I don't believe a person can become a man through a surgical procedure. Through a surgical procedure. If that were true, then my wife would have done two cesarean sections. She's been cut twice. She'd be more of a man than I am. Yeah. They've cut my wife twice. If cutting a person's skin would make him a man, my wife should be more of a man than I am. So I don't believe you can become a man through a surgical procedure. So the whole concept of manhood that is received through a ceremony of three weeks, when the boy grew up 18 years without male leadership or role modeling, and they hoped to make him a man in three weeks, I don't believe that happens. I believe manhood is a process. And it's a responsibility, not a stage, not a position. So, if I can, if that would comfort, if there is any, any comfort to you, my son is turning seven this year, he will not go to the mountain. If that's any comfort to you, I will not take my son to the mountain. Because I am raising a man child today, not 18 years later. So, I'm already training him in manhood, not at the three weeks, some point in life. Hope to make him a man at that time. So circumcision done for medical reasons is different. It's proven that it is good for the prevention of diseases like HIV AIDS. So it has elements of benefit for hygienic and medical reasons. But I do not believe in this manhood that can be received from the mountain. I don't believe in it. Personally. Now, our parents, however they do, I know that they do. The question to me is, what control do your parents have over you and your child? Not whether or not you should be arguing against them, but what control do you give to them? Your aunts and uncles and parents. That's true. Ultimately, this is your child, not our child, as the culture will teach. It is my child child. I gave birth to this child. Hospital, I was there alone. He was in my stomach, not in our stomachs, but in my belly for nine months, and I gave birth to this child. So there must be an element where there is a, la- there's a, there's a, there's a line cut of responsibility. I raised a child myself. So, therefore, I don't think it's necessary to circumcise a child in the way it's done in the name of culture. Because the same culture discriminates against those who don't do that practice. Meaning, it tells us in the country, only the men who are legitimate across a man, others who don't do this are not men. And I asked him a question, how do crossers mark this transition from boyhood to manhood before circumcision was introduced? Because there was a time that crossers and Zulus were practicing the same things. There was a time that Zulus circumcised and they stopped. The question is, didn't we have Zulu men beyond that time they stopped? Do they all die as boys? Does it make sense? The Xhosa king, Dalingyeb, who's in jail now, calls Zuma a, a, a boy. He had to apologize later on. Because it doesn't make sense to do that. There's no logic to call a 67-year-old person a boy. Because it has not done your cultural practice. That you arrogate your culture to have the one with the ambit, or the standards of manhood. And all other cultures must be measured against your own culture. That also is superiority. Okay? So for me, that whole structure doesn't work. 
We have seen it in the Eastern Cape. They die every year. Average about 30 per season. They die. I will not play Russian roulette with my son in the name of culture. I have told people I gave birth to a child. You keep your culture, I keep my son. And I'm not taking games with my son. There is no guarantee that your son will come back alive. I'm telling you right now. No one can guarantee you. If you're prepared to pray Russian laureate with your son, you do that. But I don't advise it. Because you'll be receiving back as a corpse. Or minus his manhood. The one he went to fetch in the mountain, he may come back minus it. The very manhood he came to go and, to go and gain, he may come with less than what he already had. So he's better off with the manhood he has, because he may come back with less than what he already has. Which is worse off. They amputate them. Because they do wrong botched circumcisions. And they dehydrate them. They punish them. They do all kinds of silly things to train them for manhood. You know, and they go through a lot of pain. I, you know, so, yes, I did it because I did not know 20 years ago. But I won't do it again for my children. But what I will do today is to train up my child. Train up a child in a way that it should go. So when it's old, you won't depart from it. So I'm doing it now. So my child will not feel the sense of isolation. That he must belong to anybody. His identity must be settled in Christ and in the family. Rather than society. One or two questions, and maybe one more. And close. There's one here. Yeah. Thank you. Um, Africa, how does that fit in with Ubuntu? What's that? The, the whole that the village owns the child? Well, Ubuntu is an idealistic, theoretical concept, it is not practically applied today. My child belong, is your child and your child is my child. I don't see anybody doing that. It might have been something that existed. But right now, my child is my child. And your child is your child. You fix your problems. We're not feeding each other children right now. Maybe we did in the past. But today, your child is hungry. It is your problem. I'm feeding my child. I'm talking about Zulu people now. I'm not talking about white people. People now are selfish. They may say this is the culture we belong to, but practically, watch how they neglect other people's children. So it doesn't work anymore today. And so, yes, I think we have a responsibility. This thing of this, our culture, which is beautiful, the church should be taking it on and doing it. Because the motive for us is different. It's different. We are expressing Christ in the lives of children. Because human beings will start it, but they cannot sustain it because it's man-made. And it has to do with a man agenda. It's not sustained. And for us, we don't do it because we have too much money or too many goods. We do it because we share whatever we have because Christ wants us to do so. Like the book of Acts church. So I think it's not being done anymore. Um, therefore, we should just focus on just being loving children. I think what children need is love and, 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 and affirmation and kindness. I think children don't want, children don't know anything about culture. We introduce them to culture. What they need is a warm house, a warm home. Even now, I mean, some people in, the, in this country now just go and adopt a black child. White people. People say, how can the white people raise a black child? Which culture will they follow? Which ancestors will they talk to? 
I'll tell them, I'll tell them, oh, that's not a problem. You are preferring that 3.8 million orphans must be growing up in the streets in the name of your culture. But ask the orphans, what do they prefer? They'll prefer a warm bed, a warm meal. That's what they will prefer. Have you asked them, the orphans, what they will prefer? They would rather have a warm meal and a warm bed than to have a clan name. So children are not looking for white or black. They're looking for love. If they are loved, they grow healthy. They're not loved, they become street children and they become criminals. So others are fictitious about cultural practices and clan names and ceremonies and then they leave all the orphans out there. When children, all they need is love and they are raised like that. So... I think for me, let's be practical about it. Others are idealistic. Their belief systems are not practical. Children want to be loved, that's all. One more and we close. Thank you. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes. Uh, you touched a little bit on um, spiritual warfare and Obviously, he spoke about the levels of it, demons, and, and also superior. I mean, obviously, there are other people, I mean, what spiritual that is taking yeah. control of yes. people yes. In, a, in, a, in a sense and controls them, yes. make, things, make them do things that, you know, it's like obviously they're being led by those spirits and, yes. and stuff. Um, what will you? What will be your suggestion at the moment? That obviously, as Christians, we I won't say we don't know how to. This is based on my thinking anyway, because we don't see it being raised into a church or being even you know something that we we speak about. Uh, uh, what can what can be done? What can we as Christians understanding that we have to pray for? I mean, obviously, for us being released in those spirits. What else can we do? What else can we do as Christian community to really tap into this, you know, um, kind of, I mean, being active against this spirit? Thank you. The first thing we do is be established in the word. Power is in truth. Truth sets free. The word of God, reading the Bible, the mirror of the word and looking at the mirror and seeing yourself in that mirror and re-establishing identity based on what you see in the mirror of God's word. Very important. Sitting under teaching of the word of God. Because again, there are churches that do deliverance. But they don't teach the word. They just do deliverance every service. So they deliver people who need deliverance every Sunday. They keep delivering them. And I say that those people need deliverance from deliverance. Because they get addicted to deliverance. So every service is deliverance. Every service is deliverance. Let's cast out something out of you. Everything must be cast out. Every time it's cast out something. I don't know who brought it back, but they keep casting something out all the time. We can't live like that. Otherwise, we'll be fearing demons everywhere, hunting demons everywhere, and being demon conscious. We were not asked by God. We do not supposed to do a PhD on darkness. We should do a PhD on the light. And light takes care of darkness. In this room, we didn't go around chasing the light, darkness. We only switched on the light, and darkness automatically left the room. 
That's what we did. We switched on the light. Darkness, gone. Wow. Light took care of darkness automatically. It displaced one another. So there's always a presence of darkness when there's absence of light. And there's always an absence of darkness when there's presence of light. So what we need, especially among us black people, is teaching, teaching. Not this deliverance, praying all night, all the time for... No, 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 no. Once cleansing, sores or whatever you call it, spiritual cleansing, cut the thing, break it, victory camp, whatever you call it. Do that, then move on and then stay in victory. But don't keep going back seven times stronger demons and keep going back every week, going back to the prophet for more prayer. Prophet, they're back again. The demons are walking in the roof. Prophet, they're back again. Now they're walking in the lounge. Prophet, they're back. That's what people do. Literally people do that. They keep going back to the prophet. Demons are back again. Now they're now in my cupboard. They're back again. They're now in my sleep. They don't walk in victory. So for me, I believe in deliverance. I believe in that encounter with God. Where something supernatural happens, I'm plucked out of the mouth of the devil. But I must remain out. Through now my own obedience to the truth. Not through the prophet's prayer. Thank God for him and the power of God over his life. But I must also obey God's word to remain free. And, and I'll practice it myself. So there's two people who must be involved here. Some men of God and some obedience from me. Sometimes we abdicate the responsibility and let it be the pastor's responsibility. So I think we need that. And we're going to pray and close on that. Okay. So, we're going to close in prayer. The prayer we're going to do, I should have you back on the keyboard. You can. We're going to close in prayer. And um, we're going to pray that the Lord will open our eyes in this. We see roundabout. Now, the Elijah prayed that Gehazi eyes will be opened. And see that great, many are with us than they with the enemy. Now right now, as I'm talking to you, we don't see in the spiritual realm. We don't see nothing. <laughs> but there's angels around you. There's an angelic army around you. The church of Jesus Christ cannot be defeated. Because it will mean the defeat of Christ himself. And Christ is powerful. So we stand weak, looking weak. It says, My strength is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you. We are small in number. We don't have, we don't have the budgets to slaughter 12 cows. And 12, we don't lead. We're not kings. We're not, we're not rulers. We don't lead tribes. We don't have that kind of influence. We're small congregations in, located in different suburbs. We look like an insignificant number of people. But the Bible says, The greater is he that's within us than he that is in the world. So that's, we shouldn't worry about our numbers because we, are, we and God are always a majority, no matter how few we are. With God, we are more powerful than anybody else across the path. Okay? So, and the enemy knows that. You see, the enemy, the enemy has one thing in mind. Keep their eyes closed from seeing who they are. The Israelites saw, they said, we are grasshoppers in our eyes. Even in the enemy's eyes, the enemy says, we are afraid of the God of Israelites. But the Israelites saw themselves as grasshoppers. When the enemy saw themselves differently, saw them as different, the way they saw. So we might be seeing ourselves as grasshoppers against the spiritual forces of darkness in this land. But the Lord of God of heaven is with us. Amen. 
The Bible says, let God arise and let his enemies be scattered. Lift up your heads, all your gates. Be lifted up, you everlasting God. And the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? It is the Lord God Almighty. It is the Lord mighty in battle. He is the King of glory. The bright and morning star, the King of kings. If you can rise up, you can stand up with me, please, as we pray. The bright and morning star, the one riding on a white horse, the one with fire coming out of his, of his mouth, the prince of peace, the bright and morning star, Jesus, the Lamb of God, the conquering Savior, the King of kings and Lord of lords. We lift up the banner of Elohim, see the God, our banner, the God of victory over the nation of South Africa, over the continent of Africa. We declare, let God arise and let his enemies be scattered, O oh God. Raise an army in this place. Raise the authority of God over this place. We raise a sword. Destroy now the horn of wickedness. Destroy the horn of the enemy. The horn of wickedness. Break us thunder oh God the horn of wickedness let your power be demonstrated in this nation reveal your mighty strength reveal your mighty glory over this land oh God of heaven arise over this land blow over with the Holy Spirit let the spirit of truth let the spirit of anointing raise a standard against the enemy let a standard be raised over this land oh God we declare victory in Christ Jesus. We declare victory. We declare victory in the Lamb of God. The Lamb that was slain before the foundations of the earth. We release your angelic ministry. We release we blow a horn. We blow the trumpet of victory over this land, oh God. We thank you for your supernatural power. We stir the waters of revival over this land. We stir the waters of revival. Let God move over this land, oh Jesus Christ. Move over this land, oh God. Move over this land. Destroy these dark forces. Destroy them on our behalf, Jesus Christ. These covenants of darkness. Let them be annulled. We cancel them. We cancel witchcraft. We cancel witchcraft in this nation. We cancel the assignments. We cancel every curse, every word spoken of this land. We break its power. We cancel the pronunciations of witchcraft. We cancel every word spoken of this land, oh God. We declare that in the allies of the enemy, they shall not land. No curse shall land. No curse shall land. They will not land over this province. They will not land over this nation, Jesus. Pray now, Lord God, for our leaders. Pray for our leaders, oh God. Open their eyes. Open their eyes. Let them see the truth. We break the powers of witchcraft that governs our land. Ancestral altars that govern this land. We declare fire upon each altar, oh God, right now. We release fire upon each altar. Let there be fire that consume every altar over these leaders, over these people and ministers. And, and pray. We declare the fire of God over each altar, oh God. In Gaza, we release the fire of God in every place in Lundi, in every province in every city, in every town we release fire right now Jesus let the fire of God burn let the fire of God burn 
the strongest Sangoma in this province. We declare fire on this altar. We declare fire on this altar right now, God. Let right now fire begin to burn right now. The fire of God, consuming fire, come down over this land, Jesus. We give you praise this morning. Release our children from bondage. Release our children from captivity. Release every child right now, we pray. God of heaven, release every offspring, every child dedicated to ancestors. We declare their freedom right now. We declare liberty. We bless your name for victory. The church arising, marching in, in victory. We give you praise, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God is here. Hallelujah. Amen. Lord Jesus, head of the church, our great high priest. Yes. Great shepherd, chief shepherd, good shepherd. Yes. We worship and praise you now for you have spoken to us. We've heard your voice. You've opened our ears. You've impacted our hearts. For that we praise and bless you. And we commit to you, our brother Africa, and we surround him in prayer and love and ask you to clothe him with holy fire and protect him from all evil and continue to be the arrow of your kingdom to the glory of your name through Jesus Christ. Amen.